This podcast is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network or find us on socials. Seize Your Adventure is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. I've literally from last year just started, I guess, living an adventure. Like I just started like being in a space where I want to do things that I've always wanted to do. Because I think, you know, when you become a mom or a wife and your life merges with other people's lives and you lose sight of some of the things that you wanted to do. So I think it's pretty cool to be in a space now where I can do those things and I'm doing those things, even despite the seizures. Hello adventurers, it's Fran Tarowskis here and you are listening to Seize Your Adventure. You just heard a taster of my interview today with blogger and runner Jewel Gibson. Jewel describes herself as a mum, a wife, a teacher and a blogger from Brooklyn, New York. Her Instagram and blog, Life's a Jewel, focuses on motherhood and encouraging women to live healthier lives in general but she also uses her platform to talk about the day-to-day challenges navigating a seizure disorder. And she specifically started her blog because she says she didn't see anyone that looked like her blogging about epilepsy. So this episode is in fact going to be part one of two. Jewel is very multifaceted and during our conversation I asked her about her experience with pregnancy and being a mother with epilepsy. But because that is a little bit off the usual path for this podcast, I'm going to save that part of the conversation for its own episode next week. Today's episode is going to focus on Jewel's diagnosis journey how epilepsy affects her day-to-day, and the relationship between her epilepsy and running. So Jewel was an athlete and a runner in high school, and when she saw an advert from the Epilepsy Foundation about running the half marathon in New York, she figured it would be fun to try it out. She wanted to run to help eliminate the stigma around epilepsy and seizures and to raise awareness within the community. But when Jewel started training, she realised that her seizures and her epilepsy were going to make running more difficult than she remembered. Jewel couldn't actually find any information on running with epilepsy and how this might affect the way that she had to train. She had to figure it out on her own and learn how to run without aggravating her condition. Her blog post about her training was one of the few articles I could find on the extra concerns of running with epilepsy. Now in this episode there's a couple of new terms that we haven't really come across before. So Jewel talks about pseudo seizures and these are more commonly known today as psychogenic seizures and those are ones that are not caused by electrical activity in the brain. They're also sometimes called non-epileptic seizures or disassociative seizures, uh, sometimes non-epileptic attacks. The name pseudo-seizure is a slightly older term and in the UK it's not used so much anymore so you might not have heard that one. 
And the other one that Jewel talks about, and she goes into a bit more detail, is the catamenial seizures. And this was something that was completely new to me when I spoke to her. And they're basically seizures that are triggered by changes in hormones. So you get to hear a little bit more about that today as well. So here it is for you, part one of my conversation with Jewel Gibson. So let's start off by going back to your diagnosis. How did you find out that you had epilepsy? How did it start for you? So I found out roughly 12 years ago. I was sick and I was laying on the couch with a friend and I thought I was shivering because I was cold. You know, my friend was like, no, I think something else is wrong. Then next thing I knew, I was in the ambulance being um, taken to the hospital Um, The experience that first night was rough because the nurse in the hospital thought I was on something or thought I had taken something. Mm -hmm. And she made my mom leave the room because she thought I was lying because my mom was in the room. And she just kept saying to me, tell me what you took. Tell me what you took. It's okay to tell me what you took. And I'm just like, I didn't take anything. I I don't know if if she was well versed in what a seizure looked like or that a seizure could happen from other things because I also had a fever. And two years prior, I was also in a car accident. And at that time, I hadn't really had, that's my first time I had ever had a seizure. So it was really weird to have that experience where someone, you're trying to figure out what's wrong with you while someone is trying to convince you that you took something that you probably weren't supposed to take, which caused the situation to happen to you. So there was a lot of emotion in that space at the hospital and just me trying to just get a hold of like what was actually happening to me and trying to convince the nurse to help me and get me to a place where I can be okay, as opposed to trying to convince me that I had ingested something that I needed to tell her. So after going through 20 minutes of trying to convince her that I hadn't taken anything, they finally um, gave me, I believe it was lorazepam, to kind mm-hmm. of calm the seizures down. I stayed in the hospital all that week because I constantly kept having the seizures and they like they wouldn't stop. And the doctors were trying different types of um, medications to, to get the seizures to stop. And so between the, the various cocktails of medications that I was on, eventually after a week, the seizure stopped and I was able to go home. And then after going to see different neurologists and doctors, it wasn't until years later that I got a diagnosis. So it took a little while to get to the point where I could figure out what was going on with me. I was very independent prior to having my seizures. I also had a child and my son was um, almost two at the start of my seizures. So Uh, My family was very, very supportive um, in helping me transition from being independent to being dependent because I needed them a lot more than I did prior to that. I know my dad and my mom both came with me to all the appointments and they helped me take care of my son and my brother would take me also to my appointments and leave with me to go with me to the store so I could get air and stuff, walk around with me because I also couldn't go outside by myself. I couldn't drive. I couldn't go to school anymore. I had stopped working. So it was a really difficult time for me as a young adult to be stripped from my independence and now having to solely be 
um, depending on others to make sure that I was okay. But my family was really strong and they were strong for me and they were very helpful in helping me be okay with um, leaning on them and depending on them. So that part was easy, right? That part was easy because they were so supportive, making sure that I was okay and making sure that I had what I needed and that my son had what, what he needed. And it was it was a rough few years, like the first three, four years after having my first seizure was really rough. And it wasn't until that fourth year that I felt like I kind of was able to get a handle on controlling them and being able to like get my license to drive and then also being able to um, go back to school and go back to work. So yeah, those first few years were really, really rough. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about the way that you were met when you went into the hospital initially because I actually had a, a very similar thing from the paramedics when I was in the hospital. I was at university when I had my first one and I was with my housemates. I think it was in the evening and they, they were asking the same question. They were asking me, have mm. you taken anything? Have you been drinking and all of this kind of stuff? And for me, it felt very accusatory at the time. Right. Yeah. I was quite lucky that they took me at my word quite quickly but it sounds like you had a bit more difficulty in, in essentially convincing the people that should have been helping and listening to you to look for the the actual reason behind it can you just explain very quickly the type of seizures you have and the type of seizure you had that first time so the first time they really couldn't tell me what type of seizure I had it was only after doing a few tests that they were able to tell me what they were they um so at first they told me that I had pseudo seizures mm. and I was just like okay I don't really know what what that is and I don't really understand like what you mean and they were explaining to me that typically a pseudo seizure um is a non-epileptic seizure which results from um, psychological conditions rather than like brain function. So like you can have a pseudo seizure because of stress or PTSD or something like that. But what I later found out was that most people who have pseudo seizures have a second type of seizure as well. So the seizures were amassing themselves as pseudo seizures. So there wasn't any um, activity showing on the EEG. And then later on, maybe I want to say roughly two or three years later i was getting married and i wanted to start a family with my husband so we did a sleep study at the hospital the doctor was like you know your seizures are a lot deeper in your brain it would be very evasive for me to like go deeper to figure out like what is like really happening unless you have like a bigger seizure i really couldn't tell you or unless like as time goes on the other types of seizures start to reveal so because i can see the activity i just can't tell you like what's actually happening so then they realized that I was also having seizures in my sleep. So he's like, yeah, that's definitely not a pseudo seizure because it's something that you're having in your sleep. And he was just like, we kind of need to do more testing and following up. So we did more testing and following up. I got to the point where I saw another doctor and then I was just giving her my like history and then like what I feel like when I have seizures or like what happens when um, I have seizures and ultimately it came down to it that I have catamino seizures. So um, these are seizures that frequently um, happen during menstrual cycles, like during, after, or before your cycle, even sometimes if you ovulate. So they're like hormonal based and they're gender specific. So they only happen in women. 
so now um, with that information, things started to change a little bit because it almost was like, I felt like, okay, am I like the doc, like some doctors are making me feel like I was making this up and I didn't really have anything else to go off of. And when I spoke to other people, they kept telling me like, yeah, it took me five years to get diagnosed with an official like type of seizure or it took me, some people it's automatic. And then other people, it takes them a few years before one lady told me it took her 10 years. So yeah, I found out that I had um, catamino seizures. And since then, it's been a bit of a roller coaster because, you know, being a woman, your hormones change every month. You have your cycle yeah. every month. So that's something that is difficult to, to work around. It's something that you can't figure out on your own. It's not like something that like stress that you can manage and fix or it's not like um, knowing like certain triggers that you, you have that you can kind of manage and fix. It's going to happen every month and you kind of just have to brace yourself and be prepared that you may or may not have a seizure because your hormones are shifting. Mm. Yeah, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with the, you've got you've got a trigger for it, which is quite nice in a way that you know why it mm-hmm. happens. But because it's a trigger you can't control, that's right. almost worse, <laughs> as it were. Yeah. But you, you do go into a fair amount of detail on your blog that you have, Life's a Jewel. Yeah. Why did you decide to actually make it a blog? Why did you decide that that was something that you wanted to put out there for the world? I felt that it was important to do that because after having my first seizure, I didn't really know where to go. There, I didn't really know where to turn. There weren't really many people, one, that looked like me, and two, that was actually sharing. Because I think there's so many stigmas attached to epilepsy and attached to the community that people don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. and people don't want to share and it's not as sexy as breast cancer or cancer where people are sharing that they have cancer. And, and, when I, and what I mean by sexy, it means like it's not that kind of a, a illness um, that's making money so that we can fund research and do all the things. And we have all these great spokespeople. It's not a sexy, advertisable illness where people are out here like advocating and talking about it or whatever. It, it really took a little while for there to be people that were stepping up to advocate, that were stepping up to talk about it, that were breaking their silence to talk about it. Um, So I felt like when I was looking for a voice, there weren't many. I felt like I wanted to be what I didn't see for myself for other people. Mm. Did you ever feel the need to keep quiet yourself? Did you ever feel like you had to hide your epilepsy? Of course, um, especially at work. I think the workplace is where most people hide their chronic illnesses mm. <laughs> because you feel like it could be used against you um, by profession. I'm a teacher. I'm a high school English teacher. And sometimes, you know, it is difficult to get up because I'm tired and my body hurts. And yet I have to stand in front of these 30 beautiful children every day and teach them and be present and focus and do all the things and show them love. And when some days I don't have the energy to even get myself out of bed, mm. when you are at work, you know, you, you have to be on, you have to, especially in what I do, you have to be on, you have to be visible. You have to be friendly and parent and you have to be there. And with the side effects of some of the medications that we have available to us, that's hard because a lot of the medications make you drowsy. They give you anxiety. They make you tired. They make you feel like a zombie. And so it's difficult to balance being present and being all the things and doing your job effectively and taking care of your epilepsy and taking care of your health. And so that was like, that is the place where I have for the most part chosen to hide 
that part of me and and most of the people who I work with don't really know that I have a blog they don't really follow me on Instagram so they don't really know that part of my life they just know that I'm a teacher and mm-hmm. that's it and so it has been easier and so recently to kind of hide that part of who I am and I am privileged to be in a space now or in a school now where I can be open with my my students and the people that I work with about um, what I'm what I'm dealing with on a daily basis and my students are very supportive mm. and they're very open it's funny I'm actually was off this week and I um, had a follow-up neural um, neuro appointment because I had two seizures last week and I'm gonna have to wear the 72-hour EEG at work oh okay yeah and yeah. so <laughs> that's gonna be interesting it's gonna be it's going to be interesting. This will be the first time that I've ever been anywhere socially with the device on. The other times that I've done it, I've stayed home. So I didn't work. So I was home and I didn't really go to school. So I was able to like hide that part of me. And so now I have to wear it for 72 hours. And the procedure I'm going to do it like in March, the middle of March. I, all weekend I've been talking to my husband about like, okay, so how am I going to talk to the boys about this? I'm like, what am I going to say? Like how, because I work in all boys school. So I'm just like, um, how am I going to talk to, you know, uh, my administration about it? How am I going to talk to my scholars about it? And it's it's been an emotional journey because now this is going to be a part of me where I'm going to have to be vulnerable. And there's going to be a lot of vulnerable moments um, with myself and my scholars. I'm sure they're going to ask me a ton of questions and they're going to be very intrigued by the device and like what it does and the whole thing. So I'm I'm ready for that. I'm just trying to figure out how it's going to feel for me to be out and about and around people that respect me professionally and for them to see this private part of who I am that I haven't really shared with them. You know, I've shared it with the world, but not with this part of who I am. So it's going to be pretty interesting. Hello there, my name is Cathy Kamleitner and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Wild for Scotland. If you enjoy travelling, spending time outside, learning about nature or simply relaxing to a good story, check out Wild for Scotland and join me for inspiring journeys from the cobbled streets of Edinburgh to the sandy beaches of the Western Isles. We go on scenic road trips up and down the country, hop from island to island, immerse ourselves in Scottish history, culture and landscapes, and meet passionate locals who love sharing their own little corners of Scotland. Think of it like story time for adults that inspires you to head out and learn about the world around you. So join me on the Wild for Scotland podcast. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Absolutely. I think, like you say, there's going to be a lot of questions. It's going to be a good mm-hmm. talking point at the very least where you can mm-hmm. kind of have an end to that conversation. And right. um, if all else fails, you can get yourself a really nice hat and <laughs> <laughs> just wear right, that exactly. around. <laughs> exactly. But it's true that, um, like you say, you, you have a blog where you're telling the world about it, but it is very different to having those in-depth conversations with the people that you see day to day because... Right. There's the different different sides of you that you're showing. I hope that it will go well for you. I look forward to hearing more about it when when it happens. Yeah, I'm actually thinking about writing a blog post about it. So 
yeah Yeah, I think it really (laughs) really be interesting for people and of course hopefully it will bring you some more information about the seizures so that that side of it can be yeah fixed up a little bit as well with luck yeah I agree so let's talk about the the content of your blog a little bit because one of the reasons that I wanted to speak to you was one of your blog posts in particular and you did this as part of the epilepsy blog relay for living mm-hmm. well with epilepsy and it was five points that you learned about running with epilepsy. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously something that I am very interested in myself. I took up running within the last couple of years since I was diagnosed with epilepsy. And it's something which I've been kind of figuring out myself over the past couple of years. So to see your your five points out there was really helpful for me, I think, because it kind of, I, I recognized myself in what you were writing. Can you just go back to the start in terms of what were you training for when you started running with epilepsy? I started training for the half marathon, the United Airlines half marathon, um, as a part of the Epilepsy Foundation of Metropolitan New York's team. I got an email that said, hey, we have more spaces on our team. You should join it. It was like a generic email that um, went out. And I saw it and I was just like, oh, I should do this. Like, this sounds pretty cool. I'm very athletic. I ran track in high school. So in my mind, it was just like, it's going to be like riding a bike. Like if you rode a bike when you were a kid and then you didn't ride a bike for years and you finally get back on this bike, your mind and your body is going to automatically know what to do. So I thought, okay, naturally, you know, I'm, I'm a runner. I've been an athlete most of my life and I ran track in high school. This should just be a piece of cake. Little did I realize that there were a lot of things that I didn't put put into context when I was thinking about it. Because when I was running track in high school, I wasn't, I didn't have seizures. And -hmm. so these are part of my body, a part of my history that isn't what it is now. And so my body was able to do things that I feel like sometimes I'm not able to do sometimes now. And mm-hmm. I wasn't as tired and I was younger and I was able to get the proper amount of sleep that I'm, I'm able to get. For most people who have epilepsy, you really should be getting the same amount of sleep as a toddler from, from mm-hmm. what I understand. And what adult you know is sleeping 13 hours to 15 hours a day? None, like none. So it was like factoring in the fact of knowing what my body can handle and being able to um, know my limits and staying hydrated, make, making sure that I slept well so that I can be focused and I can be prepared for um, what I was going to endure. When you run, um, your body changes a lot. And I think like after I started running, I felt a lot better physically than I thought I would because most people think, oh, you're, you're, exa- you're exhausting a lot of energy when you run. But I feel like when you run, you get more energy after running. Like, I feel I feel better. I feel a lot more alive. And so running for me became something that I did. It became something that I was doing for the Epilepsy Foundation because it was my opportunity to give back to a foundation that I felt like had been giving to people like me mm-hmm. and to raise money for research that I knew was very much needed for our community. So that was my ultimate reason for doing it and my ultimate reason for wanting to finish but I think along the way I started to love running again and running became an outlet for me 
And it became a way for me to find peace within myself and find peace within my body. Because I physically, I, like I said earlier, like physically, sometimes I don't want to get up. And that was like pushing me to get up. I feel like that time, those months that I was training was like, you can't give up. You made this promise to yourself that you were going to do this. And you're doing this to raise money for research for other people who are like you. And so what if you don't run, then that $1,000 or that $1,500 that you could have raised could help somebody. So I think that also was pulling on my heartstrings and um, making me more conscious of other people who don't have the opportunities that I have. Because there are people who have epilepsy who aren't as independent as we are and who struggle with their day-to-day and who have people who care for them. And so what about the people who care for them and people who stay home to care for people who are a part of our community? And so it just became so much bigger than me. And it became more about what I can give back to our community that training for it and finding a better understanding about what my body needed during this time so I can actually execute this was like so important to me. It became so important to me. And it was so dope to have my husband and my mom and my siblings support me because I ran by myself. Mm. Like even though you run with a team, once you start running, you know, I didn't really know anyone else on the team. So once I started running, I was there by myself. I didn't really have anybody running alongside of me. All those things, all those thoughts were keeping me going were were what was pushing me during the entire um half marathon. I'm so happy that I did it. Um, I did it two years in a row, did it the year before last and last year. But last year, I actually had a team, my brother, one of my brothers ran with me and two of my really good friends ran with me as well. And so that was really, that was really awesome. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And you can just hear how um, relaxed you feel <laughs> when you're, you're kind of by yeah. running and that kind of thing. I completely hear you with the idea of running for something that's beyond yourself as well. Like you say, that concept of other people that just don't have the physical abilities sometimes because of their epilepsy and sometimes because of a a condition that goes alongside it Um, Mm -hmm. so being able to use those times between your seizures I think is very impressive for sure do you still keep up the running when you're not training for something yeah so one of my really good friends she's also a runner and so she and I, um, we go running. I try to run at least once a week. The last time I ran, though, honestly, was last summer mm. um, because I was in an accident in August, at the end of August. So I haven't been able to run because my arm was in a sling and then mm. it was in an arm brace. So I just got the arm brace off in December and I'm slowly like getting physical therapy for my arm. So once I feel like my arm can withstand, because even though a lot of people are like, oh, it's just your arm and like you need your legs to run, right? But when you're running, your arms are also moving with your legs and it's like a whole body experience. Like running is not just about your legs, it's about your entire body. It's about your breathing. It's about about a whole bunch of other things just outside of your legs. So because the accident also impaired my breathing because my chest muscle was pulled Mm. i needed to make sure that i was in a position where i wasn't going to strain my body because i wanted to do something that i love so i've taken the time to heal and recuperate so i plan on starting um to run again i want to say in april when it gets a little bit warmer Um, my body's not used to running in the cold anymore (laughs) like i had to like running in the cold and that's another thing the marathon within march is in march every year and it is cold the first year that I ran, it was 22 degrees. 
and the wind chill, it was like negative, like 10. It was cold that day. It was so cold. And this last year, this last year, it was about 35 degrees, I want to say. I'm trying so to do the bad. I'm trying to do the conversion because we work in Celsius <laughs> over here, but oh, it's okay. it's that's my that's big minus numbers. That's like cold yeah. New York weather right there. It, <laughs> it was cold. Okay, it was so cold. So during so I started training the end of November, and the the run was in March. So I ran through the whole winter. Yeah, every morning five o'clock for hour, and then sometimes at night when I came home. Because it's kind of like if you don't if you don't train in the weather that you're going to run in, your body is not going to be used to to being in the cold. Mm. So I had to get used to being in that kind of weather and training in that kind of weather in order for me to be comfortable when it when I had to run. Yeah. I mean, that's a bit cruel of them to put it in March. But at the same time, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> at least it keeps you going through the winter. It gives you an excuse yeah. and a reason to get out there. So, um, yeah. And, yeah. And I have to say that running in the summertime is not as great as it may sound. Um, because it's hot. Yeah. And so your body is hot and you're sweating and yeah, it's, it's hot. So, I mean, I don't know. It's a catch 22. I certainly am really bad in the summer. I was really worried because my race last year, I did a long race in July and I was really worried that it would be that proper peak summer weather and got really lucky with it because the first half of the race was all nice and foggy and misty and then it just got (laughs) a little bit hot in the afternoon and then I could chill in the evening right because it was probably early in the morning yeah yeah that's yeah, okay. it. I've heard from other people that when they race in hot weather when they run in hot weather it's much worse as a trigger for their seizures so even though the cold is difficult on your body and difficult on your breathing and that kind of thing it's potentially was a, a better race and a better time for you to do it yeah definitely yeah you mentioned very briefly that you feel better when when you run your head feels a bit clearer and that kind of thing mm-hmm. did you ever have seizures when you were running when you were training no, no. I didn't actually Mm-mm. I didn't have any and I usually record but since I've since I've had my first seizure, I actually write down every time I have a seizure so mm. I can keep a record. Like write down when I have a seizure and like how many times mm. so that I like I can kind of like keep track over the time, over the years. It's proven helpful because I can, you one, you get to see how you, your growth, right? Yeah. And when like celebrating one day seizure-free is like a milestone for some people. And there are people that I know that have been seizure-free for years. And anytime seizure-free is amazing. Like during that time that I was training, I feel like my body was able to release the stress that probably was was pent up. Because I think when you don't exercise, you're not moving the muscles that you need to move. Mm -hmm. And um, your body is not getting what it needs. And so I think, I feel like during that time when I was training, I was in a different space mentally. I don't think many things were stressing me out. I think I was able to think and focus differently. I just think that exercise allows your body to move in a different way because there your body's releasing all these different chemicals that are released when you exercise and it I feel like you're in a better place mentally and emotionally when you exercise. So I think a combination of all those things probably heightened my seizure threshold and made me less worried about like my health and just more worried about living. With the seizures, with the um the epilepsy, you can you can become a little anxious because it's just like 
you're always wondering if you're going to have a seizure or when you're going to have a seizure. Mm. And like, where are you when that time happens? If you're going to be okay? Like all those questions sometimes would like arise. If I'm in an unfamiliar place, like if I felt like I was going to have a seizure all weekend, it's kind of just like, well, now for the rest of the week, I'm worried and I'm extra cautious. Um, it's just, I felt like it removed a lot of the worry that I was having, which made me, which made me feel free. Yeah. And that anxiety is something which I think can be very overlooked by people that if you're not seeing the seizures, mm -hmm. people don't necessarily recognize that the anxiety comes in part of that, even if you're not having the seizures. Right, exactly. Still occasionally, I've been very lucky. I'm coming up to my five year anniversary. But Ooh. I know, I can't believe it's five years. <laughs> it's so exciting. I realized the other day and I was like, oh, I've that five year milestone. There's all kinds of things that open up for you. I can go yeah. scuba diving now if I want to and that kind of thing. People would understand that those little things matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it is um, interesting that stuff that is new like scuba diving I would probably still get anxious because it's something that is a different strain on your body the anxiety levels kind of like ramp up a little bit even even if your body physically isn't having more seizure activity it's always there at the back of your mind isn't it yep all the time <laughs> and uh, yeah. I hate to say that doesn't necessarily go away even after five it years but uh... <laughs> it, it doesn't unfortunately because yeah, it doesn't it doesn't it's just yeah. like you know, being so excited about having something and then feeling like it's going to go away. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it, it definitely brings a level of anxiety that only people with chronic illnesses can understand. I feel like they may not be able to, they can understand it in other ways, but it's, it's, it's definitely like this constant worry of feeling like you're not going to be okay at some point in the day or that something's going to happen where you may have a seizure. Or, it's just a constant worry um, that I think you know, we, we have to focus on, or maybe we shouldn't focus on, I don't know, <laughs> Yeah. to kind of make sure that we're okay. I think it's, it, I think it's always the constant of making sure that we're okay. Yeah, for sure. I always ask everyone, the podcast is called Seizure Adventure, and the idea that adventure is different for everybody. So what is adventure to you? How would you describe adventure? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think adventure for me is um, doing something different and being able to explore and do things that are unusual and exciting. Yeah, so that's what I, that's how I would categorize adventure. Yeah, I think it's a good or describe adventure. Yeah, yeah. And if somebody is hoping to be a bit more adventurous, if they're hoping to start running or if they're hoping to start doing things that are new to them and they have epilepsy, would you give them any advice? Is there any any kind of like tips that you'd be able to give someone? Sure. I think with anything, you have to take one day at a time, set a small goal. And once you beat the small goal, set another goal. For me, I knew that I needed to run 13.5 miles mm -hmm. after not having run for years so when I started training I didn't tell myself okay I need to run this whole 13.5 miles right now it was okay this is my goal I was like I need to be here by March 1st so what am I going to do right now that I know that I can actually do something that's measurable and I was like okay I'm going to run a mile I'm going to run a mile in 15 minutes 
And then 15 minutes turned to 12 minutes and 12 minutes turned to 10 and 10 turned to eight. And then, you know, it just went from there. And so I think with anything that we choose to do as far as adventure is concerned, it it really depends on what it is that they want to do. Some things you may have to just jump right out of the window and just do it. That book, just do it. You know, like some things, if you want to write a book, if you want to read a book, that project that you're working on, this business venture or business idea, those things are the kind of things that you could just jump out there and just try to get started and find all the information you needed to find and maybe make some contacts and network with people, get some funding, do all the things you can to like get this idea off of the ground. And then there are other things like running and exercise that may take a little longer or that may take a different approach. But I think every adventure that we set out to do can be done with just taking baby steps and just deciding on what you want to do and just trying to figure out what steps you need to take for yourself that feel comfortable and that are manageable and measurable that you can take. Yeah. I I say similar things to people quite a lot, but I think it never it can never be said enough because I needed to hear that today. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It's it's something which it's easy to say sometimes, but not always as easy to do. Right. So true. <laughs> true. The the more you say it and if you start saying it to other people, you have to have to live what you say. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> If somebody is newly diagnosed with epilepsy, would you give them kind of like one one thing to take away? The one thing I would take away is to just research, research, research. I don't think you can know enough about, about something that is affecting your life. I think it's great to have as much knowledge about the condition as possible, to have as much knowledge about the resources that are available to you and to your family. And just figuring out, you know, your triggers and figuring out, you know, a way to be okay with this new life because um, it's a new life. And I think I like the, for me, it's like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, but why me? Why me? I don't understand why this hasn't happened to me. And it's kind of just like, well, why not you? You know, like life isn't over. Research as much as you can. So that way you can continue to live your life as close as possible to how you would have wanted to live it if you didn't have epilepsy. And I think some people are diagnosed with various chronic illnesses and um, start to feel like their life is over because they can't do certain activities or jobs or, you know, whatever it is after being diagnosed. But I, I think that anything is possible. I think that some things are temporary and I feel like there are always ways around things. And so just to figure out through your research what you can do to still live the best possible life ever. Speaking to Jewel, it was just so interesting to hear about her changing relationship to epilepsy and how it perhaps changed her relationships with her family as well. I think in the interview you get a taste of some of the different coping and self-care techniques she employs. But go ahead and follow her on Instagram because there's much more inspiration and advice on self-care over there for you. At the moment, she's doing quite a lot about um, basically bringing nature inside and her love of houseplants. It's really fun. Her feed is absolutely gorgeous. So do go ahead and follow her at Life's a Jewel. And that's one L for those of us in the UK. You can obviously also learn a bit more about her over on her own blog, Life's a Jewel. And you can hear more from her on a podcast called Well Fit Mama. And that's a podcast she did with her friend Autumn. The links to all of those are in the show notes for you. 
So I'm just going to take a couple of minutes here for a bit of seizure adventure news. So I actually have a new team member on the podcast and it's another Francesca. Her name is Francesca York and luckily she goes by the name Frankie so it shouldn't get too confusing for us. But Frankie is a longtime supporter of Seizure Adventure right back to when it was still a blog. Some of the contributions and stories on the website back then, they really helped Frankie when she was going through a tough time with her own epilepsy. I'm very glad to say that she has been seizure free since last October and she has offered to help me out behind the microphone a little bit. She's going to be my volunteer intern and you will hear more of her story in the future. So Frankie is volunteering her time and it really means the world to me. As you know, this podcast is a labour of love. It's supported by contributors and by you, the listeners. So if you are listening to this and you want to help, you can support financially by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash seizure adventure. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash seizure adventure. Support on there starts at just $3 a month and that works out at about uh, $1.50 per episode. So that's less than a pound 50 if you're in the UK. If we hit $250 a month, it covers the basic costs and work for one episode. So I can pay Frankie for her time. The snippet of music in today's episode came from Kev Rowe on SoundCloud under a Creative Commons license. And I'm going to pass back to Jewel to close the episode with a little bit of a reminder to pause every now and then and remind yourself that you are adventurous and to prompt you to consider what challenges you might be able to take on in the future. Safe adventures, everyone. I like the question about the adventure. That that was a pretty cool question. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think you really think about like adventure like that, right? Yeah. And I think in the way that you ask the question and you phrase it, like it makes you think about what adventures are you taking daily or weekly or monthly? And and even maybe thinking about some things that you want to do that you haven't been able to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a pretty cool question because I've literally from last year just started I guess, living an adventure. Like I just started like being in a space where I want to do things that I've always wanted to do. Cause I think, you know, when you become a mom or a wife and your life merges with other people's lives and you lose sight of some of the things that you wanted to do. So I think it's pretty cool to be in a space now where I can do those things and I'm doing those things, even despite the seizures. So I think it's, uh, I think that was pretty cool. It, yeah. it it also it made me think about more other things outside of the question, but the question was super cool. I think my goal, one of my goals is to eventually run a full marathon. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So hopefully before I'm forty. Yeah. So I'm thirty four. So I'm like maybe maybe in the next year or two, you know, I'll start training for a marathon. I definitely want to do it either by forty or before forty. But forty yeah. is like the you know, even though I see a lot of people that's running in these marathons with us, older people, 60, 70 years old running in the marathon. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I would have to re- do a little bit more research on like which marathon I would actually want to run. I know there's like a five borough one. It's pretty like somebody was like, you, you spend the night in Central Park in a tent. Like it's crazy. Like that yeah. sounds awesome. 
yeah but it's it's cool yeah please let me know if you do sign yeah, up to course. one because um <laughs> i always always need an excuse to go back to new york so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be cool that would be really cool this podcast is part of the tremula network adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track to find out more head to tremula.network